I think we're going to make it. I wanted to honor the Titus family again, having given 30 years in a nation that's hostile to the gospel. Uh, it's a great honor to be around people like this. I hope you'll at least come and shake their hand and, and bless them if you want to support them financially in any way. Uh, this is what the church does. The church reaches its arms around the world. Jesus told us not only be concerned for our own communities, but how many know when the Spirit comes to us, we're supposed to take the gospel to the entire world. Uh, we have a young man here. His name is Obed. Obed uh, is where Linnell takes teams in Mexico. Stand up, buddy. He is the pastor's son, and he's in America for a few months for school. And uh, we, we welcome here with us today as well. Turn your Bibles, Genesis, uh, Genesis, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we are concluding a series on the end times. It is about the book of Revelation. You might call it the last days. Uh, this book of Revelation, the first words in the book say, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which means the book of Revelation reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ and his second coming. Three times in the last chapter of this book, it, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And there is an anticipation of the church in expectation of his coming. Well, this book of Revelation was written, Jesus gave visions and an angel brought the vision to the apostle John. And it was written for the benefit of seven churches in their day, but application for us as well. Now, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about the different interpretations of Revelation. Uh, Revelation has a lot of symbolism, a lot of signs that are in it. It's not always clear what the message is, but it's for our benefit. But we talked about some very clear things last week. We talked about uh, world events that are going to be happening in the future. You follow this coronavirus to some degree. How many know there's some disparity among belief? We're certainly treating it differently than we treat other communicable diseases. It is certainly a serious thing, but there are different perspectives, and there are warnings given in many respects for how to take care of yourself. Well, the Bible, the book of Revelation in particular, is a warning about the future. It tells us what is going to happen. And uh, uh, again, last week we talked about the rapture of the church. We talked about the great tribulation. We talked about worldwide judgments. And we talked about a real person that will arise on the earth called the Antichrist, a one-world leader that will lead a one-world government. Uh, ushers, I see a lot of people fanning here. I'm going to talk about hell, so turn the heat up some, okay? Um, <laughs> No, we can turn a little air on if you, if you like. But Gen Revelation 20.10, I want to uh, begin today with where we left off last week. Last week we concluded with one verse that tells us the end or the demise of Satan. Revelation 20.10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, another word for hell, fire and sulfur, where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet were, and they're tormented day and night forever and ever. How many know the devil has been bothering people ever since the early pages of Genesis? There was a prophecy given, one of the first prophecies in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, where after the fall of man, the seed of the woman, this is the seed of Eve, normally it's the seed of man, but in this case it was the seed of Eve because of the immaculate conception, referring to Jesus Christ, said that Jesus would crush Satan's head. 
He would bruise his head. All Satan would do was bruise Jesus' heel. That was the crucifixion. But how many know this is the fulfillment of that prophecy? One verse, this bad guy is out of here. Come on, can we just say praise the Lord for that? We're done with him forever and ever. Now today I want to talk about what happens next. In the very next verse, we see what's known as the great white throne judgment. We'll talk literally about hell today. It's a very somber uh, first half of the message, very serious. Uh, and then we'll put a smile on our face, and for the believer, we'll talk about eternity and a very real place called heaven. So let's explore it together. Uh, we're going to begin Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. John said, then he saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on the throne, and this, of course, is God himself, it is God the creator, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I don't know exactly what that means, but it speaks of the enormous power and authority of our God, that even creation is subject to him. Notice verse 12, I saw the dead. These are people that have died, uh, great and small. This is the powerful, this is the dictator, and this is the slave standing before the throne of God. And books were open. Whether these are literal books, but it implies that in some way God has recorded the actions of what we have done as people. And these books are the basis for judgment. And another book was open. This is a positive, the book of life. Now, I'll talk about that in a minute, but notice what it says. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. What we see, what started in Genesis, when God said, don't eat the forbidden fruit because the day you eat, you'll surely die. What we see is accountability for our actions. We see consequences for our actions. You rebel against God, you sin against God, trouble will follow you. And that's exactly what's happening in the ultimate sense on this great day. Uh, I, I need to remind you that God knows and is somehow recording every sinful thing that I have thought, done, and said. And for me, that's a pretty scary thought. How about you? But it's in the Bible. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So somehow, God not only knows what we do, He listens to the words we say, He knows the thoughts that we think. Uh, you remember when Jesus talked about murder and adultery, He equated the act with the thought. So somehow the Lord knows these things. The wisest man of the Old Testament, his name was Solomon. Solomon, in his book of Ecclesiastes, tried to find purpose and happiness in life. And Ecclesiastes shares his entire journey. But here's where he ends up. The last verse of the book says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether it's good or bad. So the question, though, is what is this book of life? This is the one that should interest us the most. As we read about the judgment on this great day, the natural question should be is, why am I judged and how do I avoid this judgment? But this book of life should appeal to us is, how do I get my name in this book? Well, the book of life simply is a heavenly record kept by God by those who have been forgiven for their sins. And that forgiveness comes by believing and following Jesus Christ. In the most basic sense, the reason people would be judged on this great day is because their life has been burdened with sins and those sins have not been forgiven or erased. Uh, 
What we need is someone to take away our sins, someone to erase our sins, someone to pay the penalty for our sins, and that's what the cross of Christ reminds us of. Now look at verse 13. Verse 13, you see, this book of life, our name is written in it the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. When we believe in Him and follow Him, it's at that moment our name is written in the book of life. It's the experience the Bible calls being born again. Being born from above, where God gives us a second new birth, where our old life is paid for. It's like if I owed money on my car and the bank was going to repo it and they were sending the, I don't know how it served today, but if the sheriff was going to come by and present me with papers, at that very moment, Jesus came and paid the penalty. He paid the principal, he paid all the penalty, he paid everything else, and written on it was paid in full by the bank. Well, that's exactly what's happened with the sin debt what Jesus did, and now people are coming to Christ and their names are written in this book. But what's happening in this judgment is for those that reject Christ. Notice verse 13, death and Hades. I'll talk more about it, but Hades is the holding place of the dead. When you die, not all of you dies. We are, as the Bible teaches, body, soul, and spirit. The Bible teaches we are a spirit being, we have a soul which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and we live in a body. Our body wears out. Our body gets old. I told my daughter, she's with me today, Rebecca, from home from college, I said, honey, I'm my granddaddy. And she looked at me like you're looking at me. And I said, yesterday I was you and I was working on the farm with dad and granddaddy was sitting in the truck because he was too old to work. And now I'm granddaddy's age. Life just zooms by. We have one life to live on the earth. And it's only whether we follow Christ or reject him that determines our eternity. Because we as a human being now will live forever. We had a beginning, but we'll live forever even after our death. And here's how it unfolds. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged. These two holding places of the dead, they're judged according to what they had done. And what they had done is crucial because the Bible teaches there is right and there is wrong. And when we cross God's boundaries, uh, we have sinned and we're accountable for that sin. Verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. The first death is what happens when you go to a funeral, when you bury a loved one. Their body dies, but their spirit goes on. The spirit of the Christian when we die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for the unbeliever who rejects Christ and dies, they go to this literal place called Hades. But their life is not over because on judgment day, their body and spirit reunited are judged. Notice if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But conversely, if our name is written in the book of life, how many know we're not thrown into the lake of fire, that we go to a real place called heaven? Now, come on, give the Lord a good hand for that today. This is the defining point. So again, the question of Hades, what is Hades? It is the holding place of the dead who reject God's plan of salvation. Uh, Luke 16 refers to Hades. There's a man that had died, and he was in in torment. And he lifted his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. We'll talk more about that later. But here's the biggest question. Why will people be judged? 
I've heard people say to me in the 40-some years I've been pastoring, well, I could never believe in or serve a, a God who would send somebody to hell. I think, well, the audacity of the statement, you don't have power over God. You're not God. You don't get to make the rules. And if I could say it this way, God is not sending people to hell. People are rejecting his means of salvation. And the choice follows. But people are judged because of sin. And that's why we need a Savior to save us. Romans 5.16 brings this in great clarity. It says the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. Think of the contrast. God's gift of salvation, the consequences of sin. Now notice what it says. Adam's sin led to what? Condemnation. So you want to ask a question, you talk back. And if you talk more, I'll preach shorter. How about that? Adam's sin led to condemnation or judgment or hell. Uh, God's free gift leads to us being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. And how many can say, I'm grateful for that today, being made right from God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, I want to pause a little longer on this idea of hell because it's not talked about much today. You ne you'll never hear hell talked about on CNN or Fox News. Uh, when I was a teenager, there was an old rock song called Highway to Hell. And uh, people were going to party and it was going to be a great thing. Listen, that's just not the way it's going to unfold. Many, even, even many that are professing Christians are deceived and declare falsehood by declaring that there's not a literal place called hell. But the Bible says that it is. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. I'm going to believe the Bible before I believe somebody else. I'm going to believe the Bible before I believe a preacher. I'm going to believe the Bible before I believe a teacher, a professor, uh, before I believe the, 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 the majority of the professionals. Jesus said hell is a real place of pain and suffering with no escape. Now listen to these three words or three verses. Jesus said in Matthew 8, he called hell outer darkness. He said in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you've ever been in horrible pain... I mean pain so bad that the medicine wasn't working or you hadn't gotten medicine. And what do you do? You tense your body up and you just grit your teeth. It hurts so bad. If you can imagine an impacted tooth, an abscessed tooth, and you're supposed to go in Tuesday, but it's, it's Monday and the antibiotics are not working, and you're in excruciating pain. Well, this is what it speaks of. You say, well, why is it so bad? Because sin is so serious. And this is what we don't grasp because in America today, we're entertained on our television by the very thing that God will judge people for. Think of the sexual morality. When the Bible teaches purity and intimacy between a husband and a wife, that's not what you see on television. It's not what you see on the movies. You're pulled into it in all of its perversions and all of its forms. You're applauded if you embrace it. Uh, you're chided. You're mocked. You're laughed at if you don't. But yet the very thing, sin is so serious and people don't even realize it. Jesus said in Mark 9, he, referring to hell, now this one troubles me, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. In other words, the fire will never stop. Uh, Matthew 25 verse 41, Jesus now in the judgment, a picture of judgment He'll say to those on his left, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So listen, God did not prepare hell for people like you and I. 
It was prepared for Satan and his angels, but people who reject God's plan, and this is key, people who go God's way or go, refuse God's way and reject God's plan will go there. Let me say this. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but many will because they reject God's offer of eternal life. You know the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life, and how many find it? Few, but wide is the path of destruction, and many follow it. But listen to John 3.16. John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. I learned it as a boy in a little Methodist Sunday school in the first grade from Julia Guy. But you know, we don't go beyond verse 16, and that's where I want to go. John 3.16, God so loved the world, and punched your neighbor and said, that's you and I. Come, it's okay, that's you and I. God so Some of you wouldn't do anything I asked you, even if I said, come get $20 for lunch. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not be lost but will have eternal life. It is an intellectual belief but it is a belief that compels us to follow Christ. God did not, now listen, God didn't send his, his son into the world to judge the world guilty. He wanted to save the world. He wanted to provide us a way of escape. He wanted to spend eternity with me and with Steve and with Rebecca and with Jason. He, he wanted to spend eternity with every human being. But listen now to what it says. People who believe in God's Son are not God judged guilty. But those who don't believe have already been judged because they've not believed in God's one and only Son. Now listen to the verse. They're judged by this fact. Light, referring to Jesus, has come into the world, but they... Did not want the light, they wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. And this is the problem. Sometimes we choose the evil things more than we choose to follow God. Can anybody say in my past life I was really wrapped up in evil things <laughs> a lot worse than I am today? The rest of you liars in church on Sunday morning talking about hell, knowing that liars will find their place in the lake of hell and you wouldn't even be on it. But how many can say, even now as a Christian, my flesh, I still struggle with wanting to do evil. Come on, both hands, both feet. It is a struggle. But how many know it's a struggle that we can and should win? And it's a struggle that when we do fall, we can ask God to forgive us. That's different from people who basically say, I like my evil life and my evil world, and that's what I'm going to do, and don't bother me with anything else. Listen, there's a graphic depiction, I'm going to finish this, of Hades that is a precursor to hell. Luke 16, Jesus said these words, and this is not a parable. Uh, Jesus said there was a certain man who lived in luxury every day, and at his gate there was a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs would come and lick his open sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man died and he was buried and he went to the place of the dead. Hades. So, did the poor man go to heaven because he was poor? No. Did the rich man go to hell because he was rich? No. The rich man went to hell because he rejected God's ways, and the evidence of that was the way he treated this poor man. How many know if I really love Jesus, I'm going to live by the second commandment and love my neighbor as ourselves? Uh, our friends from Pakistan are here is because we believe the Bible and we believe in the work in, that they're doing and we want to be able to help them in some small way. These are evidences of our Christian faith. But listen to what happened now in the place of the dead. He's in torment. 
And he saw Abraham in the far distance and Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Have some pity, send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I want you to think of the last time if you have ever been just deadly thirsty. And that was his state for eternity. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said there's a great chasm that separates us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Here's what I want you to see before I move on. In Hades and hell, people have consciousness and self-awareness. We do not cease to exist after we die. But their suffering is both physical, emotional, and psychological. They remember life on earth and they're experiencing indescribable pain. So the question once again is, why do some people go to hell it is simply because they reject the offer of a loving God that loved us so much. He came and died a pitiful death on a cross so the penalty of sin can be paid. And this is the issue. Sin is a debt that has to be paid. Either we pay it or we look to Jesus to pay it in our place. I don't know about you, but I'm looking to the cross so I don't have to pay. I don't have to pay. Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. Now, okay, the rough part's over. Now I'm going to put a smile on your face, I hope, because we're going to talk about eternity for the believer in Christ. Those that have humbled themselves and responded to God's mercy. Let's talk about a new beginning in eternity. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. I, I saw, here's a, his vision now, John's vision. A new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away. Now, you that are young in particular, listen to me, because you're being raised in a culture that tells you man-made global warming or global cooling is destroying the planet and the planet will be uninhabitable anywhere from 10 to 30 to 100 years. That's not the way to be looking at the end. The way to be looking at the end is what the Bible says. You don't have to worry about somebody else destroying the planet. God's going to take care of it. Now listen, take care, of, take care of the planet. I pick up trash. I don't dump chemicals. I'm careful with gas. I do everything I can to help the planet. Are you with me today? But the world, see what again, the world is trying to say the problem is that we are pollutants and we have too many people here as opposed to the problem is sin and the problem needs to be dealt with God's way. It's kind of like Santa Claus. It's a distraction to take your eyes, like Easter. The Easter bunny takes your eyes off the resurrection. Well, this, this, it's one more secular distraction. Notice verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne of God. And the voice said, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. A generic term. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people. Now, when we think of heaven, we think of, oh, a wonderful place. There's going to be wild turkeys everywhere. There's going to be no season. There's going to be no limit. And they're going to respond, my calling is going to be perfect. Okay, I don't know that heaven is exactly like that. The root of heaven, though, friend, listen, is you get to, you get to be with God, your creator, every day of your life. You'll get to be with your Savior It'll be like the Garden of Eden. The great thing about the Garden of Eden was not that it was just a perfect place. The great thing of the Garden of Eden was God would come down and he would be with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And this relationship with God is why we were created. To have relationship with God is, in my opinion, why time existed between Genesis and Revelation. So people could choose willingly, having known the evil and known the good, but yet chosen 
to serve God. We're not robots. We're willingly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something here that just warms my heart. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. This week, we had two of our church members that buried family. There's a day coming when every tear will be wiped away. Death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things are passed away. And the wonderful thing, God says, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, come on, that should excite you right now. No more IRS. No more cottonmouth snakes. Come on. No more mosquitoes. No more stifling hot. One life, one day, life as we know will be no more. And followers of Christ can look forward to a world where all pain and sadness are gone. Nobody will be sick or die. The coronavirus will not have us disrupting lives. Tornadoes won't destroy cities like Nashville. Drug overdoses won't be gone. There'll be no more rape. There'll be no murder. Our bodies will have no pain. Come on, everybody say praise the Lord for that. Loved ones will never die and will never cry another tear. Now, come on, that's worth giving the Lord some praise about. That's something to look forward to. There's something about this eternity in heaven to look forward to. And I want to remind you, as far as the way we live our lives, eternity is forever. It is a concept I cannot grasp as a human being. Everything that I know and can relate to about life is bound by some time-space continuum. I can take a math class and draw a line with arrows on it and say they go to infinity, but I can't understand it because in my finite mind, there's always one more. I can do the circle of infinity and say, yeah, I believe that's infinity, but all I have is a tired finger because I live in this box of time that one day will be no more. Now listen to what Paul said. He said, we don't lose heart. This is in Corinthians 4. Now he's talking about his persecution for Christ, and it was horrible. Christians are persecuted in Pakistan, I would imagine. It's a place that's not where Christianity is not welcomed. Uh, the Muslim, you know, understand the Muslim faith. It's convert or die. Well, guess what? Um, we don't lose heart. Our light and momentary troubles. In other words, every struggle that you've had because you're a Christian, every difficulty that you faced in life, uh, we don't, uh, they're light and momentary. It's going to achieve us an eternal glory that outweighs them. Now, listen to this verse. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. The unseen is the future. The unseen is heaven. The under, unseen is relationship with God. Because what we see is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. My garden, as much as I love it, is temporary. My home, as much as I love it, my wife now wants me to repaint it, is temporary. Everything we have on this earth is temporary. I have memory from some of my old turkey hunts. The pictures, the tales are on the wall of my building. But all that is temporary. But what we're talking about now, living for Christ, following Christ, is eternal. Friends, since eternity is forever, how many know following Jesus is the wisest thing we can do with our life? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It is nothing more important or profound. Let me, let me talk a little bit more about heaven and tell you that heaven is a real place. It is more than movies like Field of Dreams that have guys walking out of cornfields and you know, asking if Iowa's heaven. People have no clue. Heaven is a real place. Now, did you know the Bible teaches there are three heavens? The first heaven is the heavens where the birds fly. You read about it in Psalms. The second reference to heaven is the stars in the universe. 
But it's the third reference to heaven that concerns us most. It's where God lives. Now let me read you a scripture. Paul the Apostle, you remember, he said that these words in 2 Corinthians, he said, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This word caught up, the Latin word rapturo, as we talked about last week, he literally went from earth to the presence of God. Now, Jesus told us that heaven is where God the Father dwells today. Remember Matthew 6 when Jesus taught us to pray? Who would he pray to? Our Father in heaven. That doesn't mean the Father where the birds are, the Father is where the, the planets are. It's the Father in a real place called heaven. Jesus is in heaven right now. You wonder where Jesus is? Remember when the angels, after he resurrected, and the, he was caught up in the clouds? Well, listen, Peter says this. He said, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God. But the cool news is, one day he's coming back. Remember when he says he's coming back? He's coming from heaven back to earth to get us. Now, in, in Jesus said in John 14, and I learned this as a boy, it says, in my Father's house in heaven are many rooms, are dwelling places, or your King James says, are many mansions. Have you ever heard conversation about your mansion in glory? What's your mansion going to be like? Well, this is where it comes from. But listen, Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a, a place for you. Heaven is a real place. There's going to be a place for us to live there. Uh, there's going to be life there more than just sitting on clouds and playing harps. Jesus said, I'm going to come again. I'm going to take you to myself. So where I am, you may be also. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be a pretty cool place. You know, the Bible doesn't say a lot about what we're going to do in heaven. It gives us some illusions, but it'll be a place of great wonder and reward for serving the Lord. Listen to Matthew 5 when he's talking about Christians that are persecuted for their faith. Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Heaven is a real place. Some of the parables that Jesus taught suggest that we'll have jobs in heaven. Jesus talked about ruling over ten cities. Jesus said, Who's been given, uh, who has done much will be given much. Uh, that we will be rewarded in heaven and a work that we'll do. Uh, how many know when God created Adam and Eve, uh, he didn't just tell them to just sit around and wait there until he came back. They tended a garden. There was something to do in a real place called heaven. Let me give you another verse or two. Uh, John said this, that Jesus has not shown us what it will be like when Christ appears, but we do know we will be like him. We will be like him. Catch up with me there, 1 John 3. We'll be like him, for he, we'll see him as he really is. Now, I want you to look at me just a second, and I want you to think about what Jesus was like after the resurrection. You remember Jesus would just suddenly appear in a room? And he didn't have the transporter like the old Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. Jesus just appeared in the room. He sat down with them and he ate a meal. Jesus said, touch my hands and see where the nails were. Jesus said, put your hand in my body. And then he would disappear and go somewhere else. Jesus would appear to people on the side of the road and he would talk to them. Jesus prepared a fire. So it's a resurrection body that seems to have a, 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 a more than the limitation that we have now. I can only move as fast as I can walk or run or my car or my plane can take me. It seems that heaven has no limitations like that. 
I don't know if we're going to go from heaven back to the new earth. You remember there's going to be a new earth? I don't know if we're going to go back and forth or what, but I'm looking forward to it. Come on now, how about you? Yeah, and my favorite verse on all this is 1 Corinthians 2. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love Him. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty cool thing to me. I've been some pretty places in my life. When we were driving across country, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, we stopped our car on the top of the mountain, probably eight, ten thousand feet up. No one else was around. It was as quiet as I've ever heard in my life. And there was a lake and there was no wind. And the pictures of the trees and the mountains in that lake, I couldn't even tell the difference between the trees in the lake and the trees on the side of the mountain. And it's been an impression in my mind ever since at one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. But friends, whatever you define as beauty in your life, the Bible says you can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. And that's going to be the fruit, fan of those that have believed in him and follow him. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let me close with this. Uh, some closing thoughts from the book of Revelation. I'm going to give you two. The first one is how we live our life each day. It is a call to overcome. It is a call to resist evil in the world. And the second is very important. It's to live each day with eternity in mind. Let's look at the first one. Revelation 21, a call to overcome. Jesus said it was the one who conquers. Come on, everybody say it with me. Who conquers. It's what he said to the seven churches, to overcomes, to his victorious. And what are we victorious over? We're going to have a heritage. We're going to be his God and he'll be our son. But listen to the contrast now. This is what we conquer. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. That means people who do evil things. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers. That's palm readers. That's psychics. That's the, that's the dark world. Idolaters and liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So the contrast here is this. You and I as Christians can and should do our best to overcome these things. You and I as Christians shouldn't live the life that we used to live. We should live a life pleasing to the Lord. We should endeavor to live a righteous life and a holy life and to fight our battles. And if we fall, we ask God's forgiveness, but we get up and do it again. How many know it's a scary place when sin is a part of your life and it doesn't bother you anymore? How many know what we're wanting is we're wanting to be people that walk with clean hands and a pure heart. And it's going to be worth it, my friend. Come on, give the Lord another good hand today. Let me close with this. It is the challenge that you and I live each day with eternity in mind. Now, if I ask you what you're thinking about in your life, you'd say a lot of things. In my life right now, I'd say, well, I'm thinking about going on sabbatical. We're leaving tomorrow. We're going to go have some fun. I'm, I'm thinking about turkey hunting this spring. I'm thinking about my garden that's going to grow, and my bees are going to be out there doing their thing. And none of that is bad. But how many know if that's all there is, we've got a problem? Let me read this, Revelation 22. This is the last chapter of the Bible. Jesus said, the time or the time of his coming is near. Let the evildoers still do evil. Let the righteous still do right. That's the choice that we're going to make. But Jesus said these words then. Behold, say it with me, I am coming soon. You know he said that three times in this last chapter of the Bible? 
I'm coming soon, but notice the good news. I'm bringing my recompense or my reward with me. And I'm going to repay each one for what he's done. You see, Jesus is watching. He's got a book. And if you, as we serve him, as we pray, as we give, as we further the cause of Christ, as we do those things that are defined as Christian, Jesus is watching. And one day he's going to look at us eyeball to eyeball and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, give him a good hand. I'm done this morning. <laughs> Worthy of our praise. It's what we're living for. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? It's been an honor having you today and we're going to have a little prayer. Now look, don't think about Cracker Barrel's cornbread yet. I know it's the best cornbread in Texas, but don't think about it just yet. Don't think about the street taco. Don't think about the pizza or the Italian or whatever it is. I want you to think about what you've heard today. Because I have talked to you today about a subject that you do not hear anywhere else in our culture today. You do not hear in our culture today about judgment day. You do not hear about hell. You do not hear about how to live a life that is truly happy, meaningful, and purposeful. It's found in following Jesus Christ. So my simple question this morning is, what are you going to do with what you've heard? How will you now live your life? In just a moment, I'd like to offer a prayer for any that are here that could not say with absolute certainty, that if you were to die today, that you're not 100% certain that your name is in the book of life. How I many know there's no question more important than that? Am I a believer and follower of Jesus Christ? We want to pray for you in a moment if you have any concerns. But I want you to bow your head right now. And I want us to pray. I'm going to lead you, but I want you to pray. And I want you to say this. Say, Lord, help me to be an overcomer. Help me have courage, Lord, to face evil in the world. Help me not go along with it, but Lord, help me lead people out of it. Lord, let me have courage, Lord, to live a righteous life, even if people might laugh at me or persecute me for it. Let me love people enough to tell them the truth about Jesus. I can rescue my friends from a sinner's hell. I can make sure that my friends are going to go to heaven and not hell on judgment day because I've told them about Christ it's my friends it's strangers Lord I want to bring as many people as I can to Christ before it's eternally too late help me to do that now I want you to slip your hands to heaven and say Lord I'm weak though in a lot of these things I'm weak God in fighting evil my flesh likes to do things I shouldn't do and I just I don't know how to get better I want you to ask the Lord to just give you His Holy Spirit in a special way. See, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of self-control. And if the Holy Spirit is, is at work in your heart, you can say no to those things that you know you should say no to. When your own willpower is weak, it's the power of His Spirit can make you strong. So Holy Spirit, would you do that? Take us by the hand and lead us to a place of greater spiritual strength. Because Lord, all of us want to hear you say, well done when we stand before you on that great day. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Come on, just say that with me. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome. Welcome not only on this Sunday morning that's about over, but welcome this afternoon as I live my day. Welcome in my home, my workplace, the friendships that I have. 
be near to me, God, every day of my life. In Jesus' name. Anybody said? Amen. Here's how we're going to close. And we're going to have one last song. And during that song, I always ask our prayer team to come up. They'll be here to pray with you about anything if you want prayer for. Uh, we'd be honored just to talk to you about whatever it may be on your heart. There'll be people here, no time pressure. The Tituses from Pakistan, they'll be up here if you want to talk to them. If you wanted to give in their ministry your debit cards or anything, you can do that. We'll give it all to them, of course. But the most important prayer I want to pray today is this one. Earlier, I asked you a few minutes ago if you were 100% certain that your name is written in the book of life. If you couldn't answer that with absolute certainty, let's take care of that today. And let me give you a picture of how it happens. If the cross represents God, and I'm me, we're all kind of born with Adam's sin. And what that means is we're not naturally inclined to walk towards God. We're naturally inclined to walk away from God. Some of us walk and become like Hitler. Some of us, you know, are just decent people, but we still walk away from God. I mean, no, walking away from God doesn't imply you're a rapist. I mean, no, you could be a liar. You could just not do what's right. But the bottom line, we're selfish and we do our own thing. And every once in a while, we think about God. And it's like we turn and look over our shoulder. Usually it's when we're in trouble. And we say, God, please help me. I lost my job. And as soon as we get a new job, we say, I'll, I'll talk to you when I need you again. We do like this. But something happens at special times in life where we turn around. It's called revelation when God reveals himself to us. You see, Christianity is not embraced intellectually. God reveals himself. And at that point, we realize that we have sinned and we have done wrong. And we need a Savior. And there's an act of humility. I'm going to bow. It doesn't have to be a bowed knee, but it's a bowed heart. Saying, Lord, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. And I ask you to forgive my sins and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And then it's the choice is I'm going to follow you the rest of my days. And this time, it's looking back at the old life, and they try to pull you. But you say, no, I'm following you until I see you in heaven. If you feel like that's you, and whether you have never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, or you have but just got away, and you want to come back today, we'd be honored to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you, if you want prayer uh, uh, to become a Christian, live the Christian life, when he starts playing that song, just have some boldness and slip out of your chair and come to the cross. I promise we won't embarrass you, but it'll be the greatest journey you've ever taken as you humble yourself before the God who died on that cross to give us eternal life. Zach, go ahead and begin to play our last song. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They are here for you. The Tituses are up front if you want to talk to them. But most importantly, if you want to get your life right with Jesus, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thank you for coming today. Sing this last song before we dismiss. You come and we'll pray.